Welcome to On DoD on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. Now, your host, Jared Serbu. And glad you're with us this week. As we reported just a few weeks ago, the Navy's Space and Naval Warfare Systems Command has just kicked off what it calls the Information Warfare Research Project. The hope is that it'll let the Navy get rapid access to industry's research and development know-how in 14 different technology areas from cyber warfare and cloud computing to autonomy and embedded systems. The $100 million other transaction agreement will span over the next three years, but Spaywar's planning to move quickly. Officials say the first white papers, asking both traditional and non-traditional vendors to solve particular problems, could start going out to the companies that are going to make up the new IWRP vendor consortium as soon as August. Our guest this hour to talk more about IWRP is William DeLine. He's the Deputy Executive Director of Spaywar's System Center Atlantic. He joined me by phone from SSC Lance offices in Charleston. And Mr. DeLine, thanks for doing this. And let let me start us off with a, just a foundational question, which is, you know, what, what are you trying to do with IWRP? Walk us through some of the fundamental objectives you have and, and talk about why an OTA approach looked like the, the right fit to uh, achieve those objectives. Yeah, that's 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 a great place to start. Uh, you know, last year, uh, you know, and I've been here about a year and a half, but it, you know, very quickly I come to realize that there were a lot of these type of quick look, quick type research things that were popping up. You know, how is how is Microsoft handling this, or you know, how is uh, Tesla handling that? You know, for autonomy, things like that. And and we were like, you know, we would have difficulty getting to them for these, you know, quick look research type things, right? And and I was like, I come from a, a you know, a domain, and I was the executive director previously at the Naval Sea Systems Command, mm-hmm. and I managed all the shipbuilding programs out there, and. Uh, and I'm like, well, how did we do that in shipbuilding, right? And I was like, well, we had this thing called the National Shipbuilding Research Project, NSRP, and it was it's under an OT, and it's got a consortium of the shipbuilders, and they continuously look at technologies that improve shipbuilding collaboratively across the entire industry. And I was like, well, man, but information warfare could definitely use something similar to that. So. Uh, that's kind of where this all started, right? Is how how do we how, how do we quickly get to our industrial base to look at a variety of enabling technology that influence information warfare? And then, of course, you know, Congress has made some recent changes in the uh, other transaction authority that have made it, you know, even more conducive, more. Uh, you know, faster, if you will, to get these technologies, you know, to the warfighter. And so that kind of need on our end for quick research, coupled with these recent changes in the OT authority, just kind of like was an aligning, you know, the stars sort of aligned for us here. And, uh, you know, uh, the more we looked at this, uh, we would we talked about it with industry, we talked about it with other parts of the Navy, Man, it was becoming very clear that the time was right. Uh, everybody really liked the idea. It resonated with industry very well, and uh, and all of our customer base basically uh, has a need uh, for this. So, um, 
we actually started talking about this uh, IWRP in November. So, I mean, to go from a, a standing, you know, uh, start from a dead stop in November to uh, having a contract awarded here by, you know, the end of uh, uh, June, uh, that's that's actually unheard of. So uh, we're we're really happy about that. That just tells you that the time was right for the idea and. Uh, uh, so the two, the two, and so the bottom line on the two main things we're looking at out of this is innovation and speed, right? Uh, we want to get we want to get out there uh, into the non DoD uh, non traditional DoD industrial base. Uh, we want to draw them in to have them partner up with our typical DoD and, and industrial uh, partners. And uh, uh, for the for for bringing in innovation, and then we want to do research on on certain technologies, and we want to be able to transition the, for the ones that prove out. We want to be able to transition those to the warfighter quickly, and the OT is just perfect for that. And I've got to assume that with you know in the IW space specifically, just considering the the rapidity of the the technology turnover cycles, it's you know, speed is probably even more critical than it was for you in the shipbuilding business. Oh, a absolutely. That, in fact, that you know, uh, speed wasn't necessarily the thing we were looking at in in uh, you know in in shipbuilding. We we were really trying to leverage technology to reduce the cost of shipbuilding because you know, our, you know, uh, that that's that's by far our, our one of our top challenges in shipbuilding is, is affordability. Now, of course, we're interested in that too in the information warfare space, but we are much heavily, much more heavily leveraging commercial technologies here on the, uh, in the information warfare space. So, and so that, that technology set turns over a lot quicker. So we are trying to figure out how to uh, put ourselves in a position to keep pace with that. So when when it comes to the authority to use OTs, there's there's a bunch of different ways to skin that cat. I think there's the DIUX model with their cons, uh, commercial solutions opening, and then there's the consortium model that that you guys are that you guys are going to implement or are implementing now. Why why did the consortium approach make sense to you? Well, I, th I think it was uh, I, I think it was from two two standpoints, right? I, I mean. We, you know the consortium you know gives you the ability to go execute orders you know so you get you got a program out there and they're having trouble with some particular aspect some piece of their technology is not working and so you can quickly get into the consortium uh, ask them for ideas on how to how to solve that and uh, and and that's really good now you can do that outside a consortium but the other thing the consortium really does and NSRP was like this right if you set this up right, and you you can encourage unsolicited, uh, you know, uh, uh, suggestions for uh, for technology advancements, right, and 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 research, because you don't always don't you know what you don't know, right, and and so what we're we're trying to do is encourage this two-way thing. We're going to place orders into the consortium, but we want the consortium to also feel like they can bring unsolicited. Uh, research to the table that we could consider, and uh, now we have we have to figure out how to resource that. Right? There's got to be resources there on the customer order thing. That's easy. The the money will come in. We'll place the order, and it'll get paid for, and that that's good. 
but the unsolicited part, there has to be money in place, and the industry has to see that there. Uh, you know, otherwise they're they're not going to want to play in that domain. But and we're working on that right now of how to do that. And that's sort of that's the way uh, uh, NSRP was uh, worked a lot like that. They had standing panels, and uh, the different shipbuilders participated on these different panels, and they would go out and look at. Uh, you know, international shipbuilding, and they would look at private industry shipbuilding, and 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 uh, uh, you know, commercial shipbuilding rather, and 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 they would bring things to the Navy and say, hey, we think that we ought to make an investment in this, and then you know, some things panned out, some things didn't, but that's a that's a really good model uh, for continuous innovation and for. Uh, positioning industry to help you keep pace with that advancing technology. That's a that's a hard thing to do in the information warfare space. Yeah. So once once you have the consortium fully up and running, what's your sense of the kind of the rhythm that it's going to operate at? I mean, how many projects per month, per year, et cetera? Do you yeah. have any good feel yeah. for that yet? No, no, I don't. You know, our our. You know, we we've we've sized the scope of this, you know, for about three years at about a hundred million dollars. That's what you saw the award on, and uh, you know about how you know, of course, how many projects that that's going to cover will depend on the size of the projects. Uh, we we really don't have a good sense for that yet. We're having our first kickoff meeting uh, with uh, with industry. Uh, a, our our consortium manager is is having their first kickoff meeting with uh, with industry to encourage joining the consortium, and uh, you know we'll we'll be there. And uh, we've got our first couple of projects that we're ready to launch on and 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 uh, inside IWRP, but we don't we don't really have a good sense for that rhythm just yet. And it's going to greatly depend upon you know the the scope and scale of the you know projects that come along. So when those projects come along, talk with me a little bit about where those projects come from. Where does the demand signal for IWRP originate? How do you figure out which projects are going to assign this consortium or these member companies to work on? Oh yeah, so they're they're coming out of the Spaywar PEOs, PEO predominantly PEO C4I and all the PMWs that are in there. And then uh, PEOEIS. Uh, actually, it's it's interesting. Uh, PEO uh, Enterprise Information Systems, uh, located up in DC, they are very interested in this because of of uh, you know their their you know their industrial base is is almost is very heavily dependent on on the commercial uh, industry because of they're in the business systems. And uh, resource, you know, enterprise resource planning tools and and, and admin networks and uh, and things like that. And so they're uh, uh, they see this as a way to get to that that uh, non-traditional non you know, non-traditional DoD uh, type uh, industrial base and and to bring in technologies uh, very quickly. So they've they've actually shown the most interest in this so far, but there's going to be a lot of uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, interest out of PEOC 4i as they move through their programs of record as well. Bill DeLine is the deputy executive director of the Navy's Spaywar System Center Atlantic in Charleston, South Carolina. We'll come back and talk more about the new information warfare research project after a quick break. This is on DoD on FederalNewsRadio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serbu. Thank you. 
Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. As we get back to our conversation with William DeLine, the Deputy Executive Director of the Navy's Spay War System Center Atlantic, talking about Spay War's new $100 million other transaction agreement for research and development in the cyber and information technology arena called the Information Warfare Research Project. And Mr. DeLine, before the break, you were telling us that the demand signal for individual R&D projects is mainly going to come from the program executive offices. So so let's talk about uh, what actually happens when when you get a statement of need from from a C4I or from an EIS. How, how does the process actually work and, and how long do you expect it'll take to get from, again, that initial that initial demand signal to some kind of prototype? Yeah, so uh, the the kind of the guide rails we've laid out is uh, uh, you know we'll have we'll have problem statements come in uh, we'll turn those over to uh, our consortium management firm they will issue a request for and solicit white papers out of the uh, you know research papers out of the consortium uh, you know they'll disposition those they'll they'll get in some number you know not not every company in the consortium is going to you know, have you know, submit a, you know, proposal on every topic. So uh, but there'll be some number come in. The research company will, uh, or the management firm will, will help us disposition those. And then the government will have to take those and look at them and say, okay, uh, these three here are the most promising. Let's turn those into formal research projects. We think that we're going to be able to do that in kind of a 60 to 90 day window uh, typical uh, other consortium things we benchmarks ourselves against show that that can be done with the help of a management. This is one of the reasons we went with a management firm sitting between us and the consortium. And uh, uh, and then uh, after you've uh, you know you've conducted the research and you say okay that right there that is a solution that could work for us in this particular area. We would like to be able to be at a full operating prototype within one year. Interesting. And that and and that is what and that's the big change, right? This is what Congress changed the statute for the OTAs here in the last couple of years, where they added the the rule that says, hey, as long as you compete the base research, you can go right on through initial. through prototyping and initial fleet fielding non-competitively. And that's what really makes this go quicker. And am I hearing you right that that really is the vision for most of these projects? In other words, you you, you probably aren't going to be taking these prototypes into some kind of subsequent FAR-based competition. In most cases, you would like to use that authority for follow-on production. Well, at some some point, I think there's a couple of possible scenarios here. You know, at at some point, I mean, if it's a disruptive technology, you know, of, of course, it will have to transition out of, you know, out of this uh, OT uh, domain and into a FAR-based domain to do a full-rate production kind of run. Because mm-hmm. then, you, then you're talking about, you know, setting up full-scale logistics and training and logistics support and sparing and all that kind of stuff. So you, you'll eventually have to get to the point where you – you transition into a, a full-rate, FAR-based type of production. But I, the other scenario I see happening is is that you know there'll be programs of record that are already working, and 
and and we will be developing things that will be you know technologically inserted into those programs of record. It could it could be some you know some particular aspect of how they're doing cyber defense inside that system or you know how they've set up data structures or you know there it could be just a variety how they package technology for the warfighter. It could just be a great variety. I see that being just as likely a scenario as as this thing being a, uh, a you know a a uh, a method to to improve uh, and uh, and modernize uh, current existing programs of record. You've mentioned the importance of reaching out to non-traditionals a couple times in our conversation, mm -hmm. and I'd like to hear you say a little bit more about how you ensure that a they're interested in being part of the consortium, and and b that work really does get directed or focused on them instead of just being kind of a, a, a another backdoor way to to give more work to the primes who know how to use the FAR. Yeah, well, the 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 statute is pretty clear on the uh, you know the. Uh, the the small business participation in this, right, and the, and the way the uh, the cost sharing rules, and I'm not I'm not the expert in this, but uh, the way the OTA is set up, uh, I, I would really have to have our uh, our contracts lead explain all this. She's the she's the expert in this, but uh, uh, it, it's very it's it's set up uh, to to really favor that non uh, traditional partner coming in. And uh, and and participating in this, and uh, and I think that's that's another job of our uh, you know our consortium manager, right? That's uh, that that's why we've hired them. That's what's in their their base statement of work is getting out there and uh, and making sure we're reaching out beyond uh, the traditional base. And now you know we you know we want them to partner up though, right? Because you know, a lot of these companies. Well, why aren't they doing business with the DoD already? Well, they they might not like to. They don't like the way we pay. They, you know, they don't like the way we invoice. They don't like our standards for, you know, cost accounting uh, systems, and particularly in the small business domain, it, it's sometimes tough for those companies to do business with DoD. And so, uh, bringing them in inside the consortium, they can partner up in different ways, and I think those things will. Form and and up and go away over time, uh, depending on the technologies. But I, but I think this is set up very well, and it very much incentivizes and uh, and enables those non-traditional uh, uh, industrial members to come in and and play in this environment. Let, let me ask a question about the consortium approach that that uh, kind of makes people in my line of work nervous, which is that. To, to us, the whole thing looks like a black box that we can't see inside. So, you know, mm -hmm. we, we never know when a solicitation is issued. We never know when an award is issued. We never know exactly what problems you're, you're working on. And I'm just curious, is that by design? Is that a feature? Is there some amount of discretion that you guys feel is needed to make this process work properly? Or is that just that, that, that level of opacity is just something that's there, but not, not really by intention? Well, no, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I've never seen it that way. You know, the one thing about these consortiums and what we're what we strive to do on the intellectual data that comes out of this is, you know, we want to we want the government to own as much of this the uh, the intellectual property as possible, right? Because mm -hmm. when we develop something in a consortium, we want the whole consortium to benefit from it, right? Now, now, you know, you got you got to leave room for negotiation in there because some companies. 
you know, they've developed something, they consider that a crown jewel, and they want to hang on to that, right? So we can negotiate that. But our, our desire is that if we're creating something, we're packaging something, we're uh, evolving something to work in one of our programs, we want to own that data, we want to own how that's done, and we want our entire industrial base to, to benefit from that. And, uh, uh, I mean, that, that, that is... That is what I'm used to in working in uh, in consortiums, and then all the the technical data that comes out of the work that's done in there, the research, because that's that's what this is really about, right? This this is about innovation. This is about doing research. That's what the Information Warfare Research Project. That's why we titled it that, and uh, and and we want to stay focused on that. You know, innovation. You, you you take a look at a lot of things. It's not all going to work out, and 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 then but you can you're going to you're going to come across some things that are going to really be beneficial to you, and you want to you want to take those to the next step. And those things that you do progress in this model, yeah, you want your whole industrial base to benefit from that. That's William DeLine, the Deputy Executive Director of the Navy's Spaywar System Center Atlantic. He's with us for another few minutes after another quick break. We'll talk about how the Navy plans to make sure it maintains accountability and transparency with this new other transaction agreement, the Information Warfare Research Project. This is on DOD on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serville. Thanks for listening to federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. This is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. Another few minutes with Bill DeLine, the Deputy Executive Director of the Navy's Spaywar System Center Atlantic, talking about the new $100 million other transaction agreement Spaywar has just signed for what it calls the Information Warfare Research Project. I want to be careful how I ask this next question because I'm certainly not trying to imply that, that anybody's behaving with nefarious intent in, in any of this. But it seems to me there's, there's you know, the difference between FAR-based procurements and OT procurements is on one side, you've got probably way too many rules, and on the other side, you've got almost none. And, and the, rules, <laughs> the rules tend to be there. The rules and the checkpoints and the milestone decision authorities tend to be there to keep people from doing bad stuff, even inadvertently. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe I'm Maybe I'm too pessimistic about this, but I just feel like at some point it's inevitable that somebody in the OT world, as fast as it's expanding, is going to make a mistake that's significant enough that people are going to get dragged up before congressional hearings and Congress is going to take some of these tools away. So what are you doing to make sure that you've got a governance structure in place that makes sure that that doesn't happen in your project? Yeah, that's a a great question. And we talk a lot about that here, too. You know, we... we, uh, uh, you know, we've set up a, a really robust management team. We've got our contracting lead, our legal folks are in there. We've got a program manager assigned to it. So we're, we're setting up our, our management structure here uh, to make sure that we're doing the due diligence because we, we don't want to lose this authority, right? We, because what you just said was what will happen is they, if, if, if folks get off the ranch and they'll start to clamp down, it, that will just slow things down. And and now we're we're pulling on the rope in the other direction, uh, so we are uh, we are as equally concerned about that, and and we want to make sure that we keep this right now. Now the other thing about this too, that this IWRP and this this o, through through the other transactional authority that we're doing, it's not for everything, right? They're going to still be the programs of record, 
and there will still be the the FAR based procurements that that progress those programs of record through. Right. This is about this is about uh, taking a look at key underlying enabling technologies in the war for, in the and uh, that's predominantly coming out of industry, uh, both defense and commercial, uh, that will help us better. Uh, the information warfare capability for the Navy. So uh, I, I don't I, I don't want you to leave here thinking that oh we're moving away from the FAR and everything's going to go through the IW. That's not going to be that. I mean we're talking about a hundred million dollar cap here on a you know uh, on a three year project and what is the Navy a hundred and seventy billion dollar industry a year. So yeah. So we'll have to keep it in. This this thing is uh, this IWRP has its has its place and it, and it's needed for certain things, uh, but still the majority of uh, the majority of everything else still going to be run through uh, FAR based acquisitions. Yeah, and I'm glad you made that point. And is there a is there a clear dividing line or even a, a set of criteria that that you look at that tells you whether something belongs in the FAR bucket or in the OT bucket? Uh, no, I, I don't I don't have a you know, I, I don't have something like that. Uh, I mean, I think we'll have to play that by ear as we go through. Uh, you know, I, I think that, like I said, you know, most of the most of the orders that are going to, you know, when when some research gets ordered through the IWRP, you know, that's coming in from the PEOs that are managing these programs of record that are running these far based, and they've got their They've done their big competitive prime contracts, uh, so I, you know. So I think that that we're covered there. I think the decision will have to be on okay on the unsolicited. If if in, if this consortium brings something to the table and it's a wow, that is really good, man. We need to we need to turn that. Then there's going to have to be a decision. Mm-hmm. You know, do we turn that into a program of record and we go to a traditional far base thing, or do we, do we, for the sake of speed and getting this thing to the warfighter quicker, do we take it as far as we can inside, uh, you know, inside the IWRP? We'll have to do that'll be a case by case basis. Bill DeLine is the Deputy Executive Director of the Navy's Space War System Center Atlantic. He joined us by phone from the System Center's headquarters in Charleston, South Carolina. We'll post a link to more information about the Information Warfare Research Project on our website, federalnewsradio.com. One more break this hour, and when we come back, we'll hear a little bit about how the Army is approaching a similar OTA for cyber capabilities. That's next on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm Jared Serby. Back on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM, this is on DOD. I'm Jared Serbu. And to wrap up our discussion this week on other transaction authorities and using OTAs for R&D in the cyber and IT world, I wanted to revisit a little bit of a discussion we originally aired a few weeks ago with Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore, the Army's product manager for defensive cyber operations. He's helping to oversee an Army OTA called Sea Rapid, 
The general objectives are pretty similar to IWRP, the new Navy OTA we've been discussing for most of the hour. As Helmore told me, the Army is aiming toward 30-day cycle times for new prototypes within Sea Rapid, but first it had to redesign both its requirements and its acquisition processes. First of all, um, in order to have, if you've got flexible requirements, you've got to have some type of funding that's respons- that, that is just as responsive to those. So the first thing that we've been able to do uh, working with headquarters DA and Congress is we've been able to, to get a single budget line. Um, and so all of our programs of record, of which there are currently going to be 11 um, within the D- defensive cyber umbrella, all of those are within one funding line by appropriation. So there's a funding line for procurement, a funding line for research and development, but there is not separate funding lines for deployable capabilities, tools capabilities, analytics capabilities within those lines. What that allows us to to do is when the requirement comes in very quickly, uh, we can take a look at where we may have some trade space without having to go back into headquarters DA. So at the program management level, we have the ability to quickly do a trade space of something and say, well, we are, there's an urgent requirement for analytics, as an example, which we just recently had. Um, let us uh, take money from mission planning and apply it very quickly to analytics, and, and that can be done instantaneously. Um, so that's one way. Now we've got the resources. Now you have to have the acquisition vehicle to do it. Um, and so the acquisition vehicle aspect of it is what got us to look at other transaction agreements, Um, as well as working um, to build a dedicated support acquisition cell, contracting cell, uh, via Rock Island Contracting Office. And with them working out a a process whereby um, we have a code, basically, that tells if this was an urgent requirement, we use a certain code word for it, and that means within 72 hours you need to have a contract awarded of some kind to it. Um, Then we have another one that's basically at 45 days, you must have a contract awarded uh, in support to it. So we have a tiered contracting code level that allows the contracting office to understand the warfighter's priorities. Um, Then under the OTA process, what we found is we really needed a way to collaborate. The fastest way to help industry understand what the government needs is to have a lot of communication with them. Um, and that's what really led us down the pathway of looking at other transaction agreements is that ability to freely collaborate with industry um, and not feel that we are in a situation where there's a conflict of interest. Uh, and that's what led us down the pathway of a consortium approach as well, using a consortium as a group that we can freely converse with uh, together and help industry one another to, to point out where one industry member has a as an example, a superior software and another industry member has a superior piece of hardware, we can make recommendations to them within the consortium that they come together. Then the last piece that we did to it was we determined that within the OTA process, it was still too slow. We needed to develop a process whereby it would be faster. um, And the way that we're doing that is by co-locating decision makers. So in traditional contracting, what happens is we send out an RFI to industry, a request for information. They come back over a couple of weeks um, with whatever their responses are. We digest that over a couple of weeks. Then we go back out again with a performance work statement. That takes several more weeks. Uh, Then we, in our review of the performance work statements or their proposals um, that, that come back, it takes us several more weeks of review, which goes to a contracting office, 
which they then review, and you can see the iteration. There's a lot of back and forth, back and forth of information. If we eliminate that by putting everyone into the same environment, and I, and I say that because it doesn't necessarily have to be the same physical space, um, but you put everyone into the same environment um, and dedicate time and resources to it, you can streamline all of your activities. Um, and that's what we're doing under the C-Rapid process, is we are putting the test people physically in the same place. We are putting uh, the contracting folks physically in the same place. We are putting the subject matter experts, which is the user community, in this case the Cyber Protection Brigade, uh, in the same physical space. We are putting technical SMEs in that space, and we are putting the PM. So everybody who's a decision maker um, is in the room um, and votes to say what they think the best solutions are as we move forward. And I want to talk a lot more about OTAs and C-Rapid specifically as we go along here, but but just, just to make clear first, it sounds like what you've done so far really is a mix of OTAs and FAR-based procurements based on what you said about the expertise that you're, that you're building uh, with, with, in partnership with the folks at Rock Island. Based on the work that you've done so far, where are you finding that contracts make sense and where OTAs make more sense? Yeah, thank you for putting it that way. But the, so really what we found is we wanted a mix of innovation and stability. Um, and so when we talk about using FAR-based uh, traditional contracts, that's where we were looking for stability. And, and what I mean when I say stability is when you have a traditional contract, you know that that contractor is going to be there for a while. You know that they're focused on a certain point and, and you're going to have a long-term relationship with them. Um, and so in this case, what we thought was the best way to do it is to focus that contractor, which we would have for every program of record, on integration because we always want to have a stable integration platform, someone who's familiar with our fielding environments, our users, um, and all of the materials, no matter the manufacturer. So for each program of record, we decided we will do a single award, which will go full and open um, as of right now, um, out uh, via traditional FAR-based contract. But then it was, well, sometimes in those type of scenarios, we get stuck with whatever that prime contractor has for innovation. And as an example, one defense, major defense contractor, if you award a contract to them, you may be excluding all of the good ideas from another major defense contractor. Or you may be excluding all of the uh, innovative ideas from small mom and pop businesses um, who really don't want to be taken over uh, by a larger business. That led us down the pathway of saying to focus on innovation, to focus on speed of relevance, the, being ahead of our threats, but still being synchronized with technology. That's what focused us on, let's look at an OTA and its capabilities. And in those one contract per program of record, I imagine you also had to put a lot of thought into structuring those so that the prime contractor doesn't own the whole thing soup to nuts in perpetuity and that anything you buy via OTAs or any other mechanism can plug in as your needs change. You are exactly right. So there's two things we looked at with it. First, as we're de developing the contracts, is that the government reserves the right to direct a subcontractor. Um, now, how do we do that is a little bit more challenging than me just saying the government reserves that right. So what we decided is we've got to reduce the contractor's risk. If we're going to tell a contractor that the government may be constantly changing the baseline on them, 
Um, this meant two different things. One, it goes back to the, what type of contractor are you trying to select? Are you trying to select a production contractor? No, we're going to select an integration contractor who is used to their baseline changing uh, more often. The second thing to it is it led us down a pathway of saying the government needed to create some type of a capability whereby we could already report into the contractor the risks of them integrating it. That led to the creation of a concept known currently as the FORGE. And so what the FORGE is in the CRAP process, uh, it's the very tail end of it, which is known as the crucible event. What this is, is this is the government's facility whereby all of the current defensive cyber capabilities are physically located. So now we can plug in whatever the new piece of software or, or equipment is, hardware, um, and see how it impacts every other component, every other system uh, within the DCO uh, suite of capabilities. Um, and so now we can report back to that integration contractor and basically show them what we've already started uh, on the integration side. Okay, so you've you've started us down the road of talking about C Rapid. So let's get deeper into that. Uh, you've already, as I understand it, been using another OTA consortium, uh, the the C five consortium, uh, consortium for command control communications in cyberspace, over the, the the past year or so. Were there deficiencies in that process, or the way it was structured, or the speed at which it was able to operate? I mean, what what made you decide that you need to develop your own process here? So no matter what uh, contract we utilize um, or what OTA um, we utilize, there's always room for improvement. Um, and in this case, that's, that is what we found, is we found a way that we thought that we could improve it, given our niche uh, within cyber um, and the ability where I mentioned that we were going to create this facility known as the Forge. And so what we found with the existing uh, OTAs um, and the way that they were governed or operated um, was that they did have the flexibility of making many of the adjustments uh, that we required, but then it came back to the contracting office um, and contracting abilities within the government to make sure that we were unified with those stable contracts, which are the traditional contracts. So we wanted to roll it all under a single umbrella to help make sure that when we were trying to transfer an innovative product into our program of record contracts, that the contracting office uh, was aware of both sides of it. So that's really what the initial phase was that led us down the creation of saying, well, we're going to move from the, today's current C5 uh, arrangement and look to create another arrangement. And notice I say arrangement because the C5 can be created elsewhere. Uh, under another contracting office. The C5 is a consortium. Um, and so that consortium can be moved to a multitude, a multitude of contracting offices, as an example, all, as well as other ones. Uh, and I just use C5 because it's who we currently have uh, contracts with. Um, and so then the other piece was we wanted to find a way to move into a 30-day process. And really what that was about is it takes about 30 days for us to acquire a technology it takes us about 30 more days for us to do an operational assessment on that. So after I've decided I'm going to buy a limited quantity of it, I now need to assess that quantity and give it to the warfighter. That's a 30-day additional piece. That's 60 days overall. In general, technology is changing uh, every 90 days um, is what we're finding right now. So if your contract process takes 60 to 90 days to do, by the time you've awarded the contract, it's already been subsumed by another capability. 
So it was again, how do you how do you move that as far to the left as you can, and then how do we start getting things so that we can do an urgent requirement? Um, and to give you an example of an urgent requirement, mm -hmm. uh, I won't go into details of the actual requirement, um, but what we were able to do is using a streamlined process off the Sea Rapid. Uh, we were able to go from the day that Army Cyber Command gave us a, a requirement to the day that the contractor was notified that they can proceed forward on it uh, was eight days. Um, and so, again, going from a traditional side where up till now it's been taking us several months to making awards to an eight-day award uh, was a gigantic win for us. No kidding. So that that's, I, I assume, just the prototype stage. That's not full production, but nonetheless. <laughs> It, it, it is a prototype because, again, we are not currently a program of record, um, but I will tell you it is a, a very large prototype, and it was based off of a very urgent requirement. Um, so there was a existing known prototype, and what we did was uh, um, we greatly increased its capabilities um, as we move forward. As people know, the department now has the authority to go directly from that, that prototype OTA process directly into production OTAs. Do you have a sense yet of how much you're going to use that authority? I mean, if, if you guys find something that works out of the prototype process, is it basically a given that you're going to do an OTA production contract or might you do something else? So our current strategy is more based off of using the OTA to find new components, new technologies, and then inserting it into the baseline programs. As I mentioned, the mm -hmm. intent is really to have that stable contractors uh, for the programs of record, but constantly go out for an innovative. Now, we do have the ability that if we went back to the um, the prime integrator um, and said, please put this product into your uh, system and and they came back and said that the cost would be X amount, um, and yet on the prototype we paid Y amount. Uh, we have the ability to say to go right back and to go back into production um, on that prototype capability. But it is it's currently not as our primary strategy. It's a secondary strategy that it, uh, has been recognized. But even in that other other scenario, if you were if you were asking your prime contractor to insert a particular capability, you could do that without launching an entirely new, full and open competition to buy that thing. Um, that is correct. Lieutenant Colonel Scott Helmore is the Army's product manager for defensive cyber operations. That was a short excerpt from a longer interview we aired earlier this year on the Sea Rapid program. You can find the full conversation at federalnewsradio.com slash on DOD. Earlier this hour, we had an extended discussion with Bill DeLine from the Navy's Spay War Systems Center Atlantic on Spay War's new OTA for information warfare. If you missed that conversation, we'll post this week's program at federalnewsradio.com and in our podcast feed. You can subscribe on Podcast One or Apple Podcasts. That's it for this week's edition of On DoD. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. I'm Jared Serbu. So long. You've been listening to On DoD with Federal News Radio DoD reporter Jared Serbu. If you missed any part of this program, you can hear the entire show or any of our weekly programs anytime at federalnewsradio.com. On DoD, only on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.